Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's go once more to the Lord and ask Him for His help as we're about to hear from Him in His Word. Father, we are grateful that You are a God who is not far off, but one who is near and one who delights in Your children coming to Him. We are thankful that You're that kind of God. And we, we pray now as we come and desire to hear from Your Word that You would you would give us hearts that, that hunger to hear from You. That, that we would know that, that though there are many things in this, this world but which call for our, our time and our attention, our devotion and our affections, that there, is, that there is nothing greater than You. And Father, help us now to come in, in faith, believing that You are a God who is alive and who desires to move in our lives. And Father, we come and and we, we cast all of our anxieties upon You, knowing that you, you care for us. Lord, You know the many things that we've carried in here this morning. Our worries, our concerns, the scars of sin, disappointments, hopes, fears, joys. And Lord, right now, we, just, we bring all of it before You and ask that You, by the power of Your Spirit, that You might work in us. And that You might give us a hope that is greater than anything this world could ever offer. And help us to rest fully in Christ and in what He has done. And we pray it in His name. And everyone said, Amen. So what is it that you worry about? Is it the bills that are stacking up? Are you consumed with the thought of whether or not you're going to be able to keep your job for another month? Are you single and anxious? You know, am am I ever going to get married? Or are you married and anxious about whether you're ever going to be able to have children? Or do you have children and you're anxious that you have no idea what to do with them? And you're just hoping that you can't ruin them, you're not ruining them with everything you're trying? What about those, those house payments? That mortgage? Or how about your your health? Are you always concerned about about getting sick or or maybe someone else that you love getting sick? And then on top of that, I mean you've got thunderstorms, you've got airplane turbulence, you've got spiders, that freaks me out. Clowns freak me out too, but you've got you got stuff that makes you anxious. You've got taxes that's, that's starting to come, come around. You're getting those things in the mail. You're, like, you're thinking, oh gosh, it's time to pay, time to pay taxes. There's the fear that we have sometimes of, of what's going to happen to those that we love and that we care about. Is, is something bad going to, to happen to them? And this, this anxiety that we, that we feel in life, it, it begins to, it steals our, our joy. And it, sometimes it keeps us awake at night. Just thoughts churning over and over in our, in our minds. Saps our our energy, and sometimes it it even gets starts to physically make us our bodies ache or shake, or sometimes just just shut down. Anxiety can be crippling, and all of us, to varying degrees, are prone to be controlled by it. Well, the good news is that that God does not leave us alone to carry all of these these worries and concerns on our own. But rather, He is a God who who loves His children and calls for us to look to Him 
and to cast all of those anxieties upon Him knowing that, that He cares for us. And there's lots of places in the Bible that talks about God's faithfulness to, to care for us and all of our needs. But one in particular is crystal clear. And that is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you, you would turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, no problem. Uh, either snuggle up next to somebody who has one, or you can get one of the Bibles that's in front of you in the, in the pew there. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Our passage comes from the center of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this message, Jesus has been telling the crowd and his disciples that he is the king of heaven who has come to make a way, to make, to make a path for people to, to know God and to be right with him. And he's been teaching everybody who's been listening to this that, that peace with God doesn't come through just showing up at the right time in the right place, wearing the right stuff on a, on a Sunday morning or doing religious things, just going through traditions. Jesus says that's not what makes somebody right with God. But rather, the only thing that makes somebody right with God is, is Jesus Himself and Him dying for sinners and, and rising from the dead and people turning away from trusting in themselves and fully trusting in Him. That's what really Jesus' message and his, his life is all about. And that, that in that, we find that there is now peace with God in Christ. And we also find the peace of God that comforts us in the midst of all of our many anxieties and many concerns. And in chapter 6, Jesus has been really drilling down in, in one particular area that, that we, we battle with every single day. Which is the issue of, of who is our Master. Who is it that we're looking to for, for hope and for security and for, for life? And he tells us in, in chapter 6 that we must not be mastered by what people think about us or by the deceitfulness of having wealth, but rather that we need to look to him. Because, verse 24 says, that no one can serve two masters. Meaning in life there's this constant pull for us to either look to the world and everything that's in it to find life and peace and joy and satisfaction or that we will know that God is our master and that He will care for us if we just trust Him and look to Him. And that's where we pick it up this morning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. You can follow along. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you? by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes, clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
Do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now to help us understand what Jesus is saying here in this this text, we're going to we're going to break it down into to three big ideas that we're going to follow through, and I think you'll see they come, they come right out of the text. First, we're going to see that we must fight against the idol of anxiousness. We must fight against the idol of anxiousness. We must, secondly, we must have faith in God's faithfulness. We must have faith in God's faithfulness. And then thirdly, we must place our focus on God's kingdom purposes. We must place our focus on God's kingdom purposes. Let's take a look at the first one there. We must fight against the idol of anxiousness. Let's read verse 25 again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus begins talking uh, about the issue of anxiety by, by speaking about things that that we think about every single day. He mentions our life, and food, and drink, and clothing. And as we all well know, we need desperately the things that Jesus just listed in order for us to, to stay alive. I mean, if we don't eat, we die. If you don't have something to drink, you will die. If you don't have clothing, you'll get arrested at least, unless you're on the West Coast, but... Over here, you'll, you, you know we need clothing and shelter. These are, just, these are the basic necessities of life. Jesus says, you need these, but do not be anxious about them. That shows up three times here. Do not be anxious. Verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. It's the theme that keeps rolling through this whole passage. Don't be anxious. The word here for anxious, it means to, to be concerned about something. It's a word that speaks of, of a double-mindedness. Where we, we look to God and then we look at what we're anxious about. We look to God and we look at what we're anxious about. As uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we look in two directions at the same time. And because we do that, we can't see anything clearly. You ever just feel like that in life when you just, you're just anxious and you're worked up and it just, there's, this, there's this fog and this blur that's coming on because you, your mind's racing? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Our hearts are restless and our minds are churning over and over about our needs. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. And throughout this passage, he gives a number of reasons not to worry. And you can, maybe if you're taking notes, you can start writing some of them down on, on, the, on the side there, but... He starts with, with the fact that, listen, y'all, there's, there's more to life. Verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, listen, we don't need to sit around worrying about food and drink and shelter because there's more to life than these things. 
And you got to remember, the crowd that he was talking to, I mean, 90% of them are in poverty. So he's not unaware that they actually need these things, but he wants them to know, hey, there's something more to life. There's something bigger than just this stuff, even more than just surviving. God is actually doing something in history that's bigger than that. And he's going he's to come back to that near, near the end. But he, he wants us to, to hear this. There's, and and bef- before we move on, there's, there's something else very important that we need to notice here in verse 25. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, we need to know here that he is giving a command. It's, it's a command. So let that, let that sink in. Jesus commands us to not be anxious. He's saying that there is something sinful and something even deadly about worry and about anxiousness. So in the same way that we flee from murder and lust and divorce and anger and retaliation and hypocrisy and everything else that he's talked about in these chapters so far, in the same way that we need to flee from them, he says we need to flee from anxiety as well. We need to fight against anxiousness. Now, you might be wondering, all right, I hear you, but come on, Jesus, what's the big deal about anxiousness? Murder? Understand. Some of the other things we listed? Understand. But, but what's, what's the big deal about being anxious or, or worrying? I mean, it seems like it's better to worry about life than to just throw in the towel and not care at all. And, and in one sense, that is true. Apathy is a sin, just like anxiety is. Apathy says life's not important. Anxiety says that life's so important that I've got to control it. And this is what Jesus is, is, is getting after. The, the big deal is that when we're anxious, the, the posture of our, our heart and the position of our mind is, is being consumed with something in life that we feel is so important that we, we feel like we need to, to control it. And because this thing is so important, we feel un, unsettled and our mind races until we've got this thing figured out and it's, it's sitting in its place like it needs to be. Until things are lined up like they need to be, or as clean as they need to be, or as paid off as they need to be, or as clear about our future as they need to be, or somebody likes us like we want them to. Whatever it is, when that's not there, it, it controls us. It gets our heart riled up, and we, we, it drives us mad sometimes. So when we're anxious about preserving our health, or trying to please our spouse, or keeping up appearances, or making our finances just right... Or even putting food on the table. Jesus says that anxiety, that consuming, it's sinful. Now, there is a fine line between being, having, having good concern and awareness about important things in life and having anxiety about them. So the test is, like, so how do I know whether I'm just like, okay, I've got to go to work. Like, is that being anxious? Versus, is this consuming me? So what's, what's the test? Well, the test is, what is the concern doing to your heart? 
What do you find that it's doing to your heart? Is it leading you toward God and pressing in and saying, God, I need, I need some help. I need you to show up. I'm freaking out. I need some help. Is, it, is that the response that's coming in your heart? Or is it drawing you away from God where all you're thinking about is situations and circumstances and needs and fears and all these kinds of things and it's consuming you? That's, that's the test of, of, of where is this Where is this fine line? And to be honest with you, most of us, we straddle that fence all day long. We just just do. Because when we're anxious, and the danger about this is that when we're anxious, our heart is captured by something other than God with the expectation that that thing, if we get it just right, that it will give us peace. We'll finally be able to rest. And that is when our concern becomes an idol. So money or relationships or bosses' opinions or our family's approval or our health or the cleanliness of our house, if those thoughts are so consuming in our mind that we look to them to finally give us peace, then those things have become an idol in our lives. And that is it's sin, Jesus says. Because when we're anxious, our attention is drawn away from God and it is set upon whatever it is that we think is so important. We take our eyes off of His promises and His faithfulness and the hope that He will care for us and place it upon what we need or or what we think we need. Because Jesus is talking here about necessities, but if we're honest, oftentimes we're concerned about luxuries just as much. You remember the, uh, the story of, of Mary and Martha in the Gospel of Luke? There's these sisters. Jesus rolls by the house, comes in. Martha starts freaking out. Jesus is in the house, just like you would, okay? <laughs> Here we are. Starts cleaning up. Starts rearranging the DVDs. I don't know what it starts, but it goes into the kitchen. Starts cleaning. Starts baking. Starts cooking. Starts getting things ready because Jesus, the master's here. We got to get ready. But her sister, Mary, what's she doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus is in the living room, and he's talking, and he's teaching. And Mary, Mary doesn't, Mary doesn't care about, about the brisket or whatever. She doesn't, she doesn't care. What she cares about is she wants, to, she wants to sit at the master's feet. and She wants to hear from him. And she wants to, to learn from him. And Martha does what many of us would do. She gets a little, she gets a little feisty. And she, says, she, she, she calls out Jesus. She's like, Jesus, can you tell her to get up and come in here and help me? And Jesus responds by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. This echoes what Jesus said just a moment ago in this text. Is not life more than these many things? One thing is necessary, says Jesus, and that's me. I'm what's necessary. Martha's anxiousness led her away from sitting before Christ and waiting upon Him and and learning. It led her away. And this is why we have to fight against the idol of anxiousness. Because in reality, it's a form of slavery that puts us in 
bondage and drags us away from the Lord to focus on things that are lesser. It's an idol that calls us to submit to it. And our sinful nature longs for control of situations. And when we're anxious about those things, we're, we're enslaved to it, in a sense. And 2 Peter 2.19 says, Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And Jesus says, Do not be enslaved to anxiousness, because it is an idol. And not only can anxiousness enslave us and rob us of our fellowship with Jesus, but it can become spiritually lethal. You remember the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13? Jesus talks about a particular group of people who, when they hear God's word, so, so like this room, where God's word is coming down and it's falling upon hearts, Jesus says there's different ways that people respond to it. Some people, right away, Satan comes and snags it, and right now, just dreaming about where you're going to go to lunch, or why is the NFL football season over, or whatever you're thinking about, something besides, besides God's word that's happening right now. And then there's other people who are hearing this, and they're like, yes, that's important, that's important, but as soon as we walk out this door, Jesus says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. That means as soon as we walk out of here, all of the things flood back into our mind and start to overtake what we just heard about, about Christ and about God's faithfulness, and about the truths of the gospel, and it just starts coming with all of the waves of things to think about. And Jesus says, if we let those waves keep coming on us, that it is deadly. And it chokes out what God is doing in our lives. Now, for some of us, this kind of teaching can be discouraging. I mean, we don't want to worry, but we just do. We just, we just seem to do it all the time. We, we don't want to be anxious, but it, it seems to be kind of our default response. Well, let me say that while there should be conviction in this message, all the way through this thing, there is also hope. The very fact that Jesus even addresses it means that it's important and that he knows about it and that he's concerned about it. And the good news is that anytime Jesus calls us to do something, he always, always supplies the means to be able to do it. He doesn't just call us to just figure it out on our own and do your best and pull up your bootstraps and see you next week. Like that's not the God that we serve. But Jesus is the living God who gives his spirit and his word and his people to come around and to supply our needs to help us to do the things that he's called us to do. So there is good news in the midst of this. But it is still some, some weighty words. The good news for Christians is that Jesus gives grace to weak, needy, broken, desperate, worrisome, fearful people. So if you're, if you're not so like if you're, if you're perfect, you're gonna, you may have a hard time understanding this. And I don't mean that as a slam, but like I know for a lot of my life, I didn't think I, would, I needed help. But the reality is, we do. And God, he supplies all of our needs in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus tells us not to be anxious about our lives and to fight against this idol, he does it because he knows that there is something better. And he wants us to seek it. Which is what point number two is. That we must have faith in God's faithfulness. We must have faith in God's faithfulness. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the field, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So in these verses, Jesus takes these, these truths that he's been teaching to his, to his disciples, and now he, he gives them two living illustrations that are going on like right there. So you've got to remember, they're not in a room like this. They're sitting out on a hillside outside of Galilee. And Jesus says, look around, everybody. Look at the birds and look at the flowers. They teach you something about God. The first example there is look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, do you some bird watching? And, and while you're watching them, write down how many times you see these birds tilling up the ground and planting some seeds and t- tending to the harvest. He goes, go ahead and write it down. How many times are you going to see that happen? None. Why? Because they don't do that. God cares for the birds. You're like, that's not real deep. You're like, but, it, but it's profound. That if God's going to care for the birds, he says, that means he's going to care for you. Now, Martin Luther, the the reformer, points out about this text something I think is is good, good to mention. He says, God provides for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. Highlighting the fact that, yes, as Christians, we do need to work. And working hard is a godly thing to do. And laziness is unacceptable. So, yes, this is not a sermon where, like, hey, quit your job, sit around, wait for Jesus to show up with a pizza. Like, that's not what this is about. There's, there's a context that we live in that he's worried about the posture of our heart. And Jesus' point is that the Father is faithful to feed the birds, to which he asks, verse 26, are you not more valuable than they? And the answer is yes. I mean, Birds are cute little winged critters, but they are not his children. They're not humans who are created in the, in the image of God. And they are creatures, but we are his children if we are in Christ. And because God is our Father, we can have faith that he will care for us. And then he asks another question, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So now he asks for a, a show of hands. How many of you have ever fixed anything by worrying about it? Same response. None of us have. Because worrying, it doesn't fix anything. It's it's, it's foolish. It doesn't fix anything. And this this is good to think about. Because if you are anything like me, as soon as something comes up and I start getting anxious... I feel like I gotta fix this thing. It's time to get to work on this deal. I gotta think about it, I gotta plot, I gotta plan, I gotta figure it out, I gotta tackle this thing. I gotta I gotta do something to fix it. That's my natural response. Is to engage. Rather than pray. Rather than stop and say, Lord, 
There's some crazy stuff going on down here, and I need your help. Help me trust you. Help me know that if you're faithful to birds, that you're going to be faithful to me. It's the kind of things that Jesus is talking about here. He wants us to know that that the idol of anxiety will will come up short, and it points us to nowhere. The second example here is to consider the lilies. Verse 28 and 29, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So once again, they're on the hillside. He says, take a look at the flowers that you're sitting right next to. When was the last time you saw one of those flowers knitting or sewing or spinning to try and make themselves a covering? He goes, you just don't see it because they don't do it because God takes care of them. And he does it in such a way that that even Solomon, who is the wisest and wealthiest man who's ever lived, he looks like a beggar compared to them. And this leads to a question that, that is intended to, to sting our hearts a little bit. Or maybe a lot bit. Verse 30. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the answer is, is yes, and then he gets right to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, this is a faith issue. It's what it ultimately centers around, that this is a faith issue. See, one of the things that we find when we begin to snoop around in this, this sin of anxiety is that at the root of it is the issue, ultimately, of unbelief. When Jesus says, you of little faith, he doesn't say you of no faith. So he's, he's talking to, to Christians who need just a mustard seed. But, but he says, there's a lack of faith here. There's unbelief that abides in our hearts. And sometimes situations and circumstances, they will, they will draw that out in the form of, of anxiety. So, if we were going to give ang- anxiousness a definition, it might be something like this. That it's a form of unbelief that doubts the goodness, and the faithfulness, and the sovereignty of God to provide what we need. Anxiousness is a form of unbelief that doubts the goodness, the faithfulness, and the sovereignty of God to provide what we need. And you've got to remember that Satan doesn't care what you're anxious about as long as you're anxious about something. And as long as your attention is not on, on the fact that God is good and He is faithful and He will show up. And that's what Jesus is doing in these two examples. He's saying, hey, God takes care of birds and flowers. He is going to take care of you. So, don't worry because there's more to life than food and clothes. Because you're more valuable than birds and flowers. Because worrying doesn't fix a thing. And because God is a faithful Father who loves you and wants you to trust Him to be faithful to you. He's showering you with reasons about God's faithfulness. So that anxiousness begins to seem a little silly. So let's take a real life example. I've got, I've got a, I know a couple who 
have been living on dual un- uh, income for years, and the member of the family who had the most significant income recently lost their job. So with that comes, as you can imagine, an onslaught of anxiety. There's bills to pay, there's fear of losing the home, there's a shame in needing to talk to the children about, about maybe needing some help to take care of some of the loose ends. So how then do they war against this anxiety that is always there? It's there when you wake up, it's there when you brush your teeth, it's there when you're trying to make coffee, it's there when you go to bed, it won't let you go to sleep. How then, how do you how do, you do that? Well, you take truths like are in this text or another one, so I'll just give you another verse that's really helpful for, for me. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So Jesus says, there's, there's peace for you. The Apostle Paul says, there's peace from you. It comes from God. How do we get it? He says, we pray. So that means you come to God and you say, God, I, you know what's happened here. There's no chance, there's no accidents in this life. You know this has happened. We need your help. Help us, please. And you cry out and you plead with Him to do that. And as you're crying out and asking for His help, you also, I don't know if you heard it, but He says, do this with thanksgiving. So in the midst of your pleading with God to help you, you start looking back and you start giving Him thanks. And you thank him for the way he was faithful back when you were in high school and he kept you you out of that car accident or kept you from marrying that person. Or you look at the ways that he supplied in the past when you didn't have any money there or the way that he showed up in that situation or that situation. And you start recounting all of the ways that he has been faithful and you thank him and you thank him and you thank him. And as you do that, this, this weird thing happens to where all of a sudden you get convinced of the reality that because he's been faithful back there, I don't know how, but he's going to be faithful right here. And he's going to be faithful tomorrow as well. That's how we we do that. And then you take a breath, and then you get freaked out again. And then what do you do? You do the same thing again. And you cry out. You're like, so am I supposed to be praying all the time? Well, it's a command, actually. It says pray without ceasing. Yeah. It's this kind of posture. Like, i got to go to work. I know. While you're there, let the posture of your heart be an awareness that, Lord... You're in control, and I need you, and you've been faithful before, you'll be faithful again. Because one of the things we've got to understand about life is that the process of getting to issues resolved, the process is just as important, if not more important, than getting the issue resolved in and of itself. Because that process is where we learn to turn our hearts in faith toward God, and we learn more about Him. And we know more about Him. And life is more than just stuff. Life is about, about Him. So God uses this process of seeking Him to lift our eyes off of our immediate needs and to hand them over to Him, which allows us to put our attention upon something that's greater than all circumstances. Which brings us to our third point. That we must place our focus on God's kingdom purposes. We must place our focus on God's kingdom purposes. 
Verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So again, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father will care for you. So don't be anxious saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Or, who will I marry? Where will I live? What are my taxes going to look like? Why haven't I heard back about that deal yet? How's all this going to work out? Whatever it is, Jesus says, don't be anxious about it. And then he gives another reason, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that you need them all. And this is a, this is a, a good place to make a really clear point that, that may seem a little harsh at first, but I want you to, I want you to hang with me, Okay? The promises that that Jesus is making here about peace in the midst of anxiety, these are made to those who are following after him. They are made to those who are God's children. Jesus, he makes a distinction when he mentions the fact that Gentiles seek after all these things to find peace. Gentiles is just, it's a word in the Bible that describes people who don't trust and follow the one true God. So, So this morning, if you're here and you know yourself not to be a Christian, listen, we are thankful that you're here. We think there's no better place for you to be than with a bunch of other people who who know they need help and who are seeking after God. We are are thankful that you are here. But I want to be really clear about this right right now, that, that Jesus makes these promises of provision and peace for those who are following Christ. And in fact, any, any illusion of peace that you may have that is apart from Christ is actually not a blessing at all. It's actually a curse. See, the problem is that we, we, naturally, we naturally seek to find happiness and peace in this life apart from God. That's just what we do naturally. So, we eat well because our, we, want our health, we want our bodies to be healthy. Or we eat triple bacon cheeseburgers because we just want to be happy. Maybe we, we seek to get good grades because we know that's going to open up you know, to get in the right school. Or we want to have a good job so we can be well thought of or be able to supply for our families. And we want to find relationships with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that, that make us happy and complete us or you know, whatever it is. Like we, we're always looking for things in this life. That, that God has given, but we do it without recognizing that they come from Him. And that's where all those things then become idols, just like we were talking about earlier. Where we're seeking to find peace in stuff that God gives without acknowledging that it comes from Him. So any kind of peace that we have because we achieve stuff down here that's not directly tied to the realization that we, need, we deserve nothing but God's wrath, but that He gives us mercy... Anything that we have that gives us peace down here that doesn't, that isn't tied to a faith in Him, it blinds us to our greatest need. Because the realization is that apart from Christ, everything is not okay. John chapter 3 says that, in fact, 
that right now, that if you are not trusting in Christ as your Savior, that you are condemned. And what that means is that because we've gone through life without pleasing God and seeking God's pleasure and living for Him, that we have stored up for ourselves wrath, the Scriptures say. Because we've sinned against God. We've breathed His air and we've drank His water and we've eaten His food and we haven't thought about Him. Except when things get really hard. But then it's not even about worship. It's just about we want our lives to be peaceful again. And all of that, he says, is sin. And everybody in this building is guilty of of countless sins to everybody except for God. And the reality is that if we die and we do not have our sins forgiven, that we will enter into another life where no matter how much peace we think we've known here, that there will be no peace because we will be under the judgment and the wrath of God for all of eternity. But the good news is that the one who's giving us this message this morning here in in Matthew chapter 6, the one who's speaking these words, the reason he came was to come and to live that perfect life. One that none of us ever would or could or did live. And then he went and he died on the cross. And there on the cross he took all of the wrath and the judgment that we deserved for using God and dismissing God and pretending that he wasn't there. That Jesus took all of that and then he went into the grave and then... He rose from the dead, victorious over over all of sin and Satan and death. And now he promises that if anyone will turn from their sins and trust in him, that he, he will give peace between them and God. We will have peace with God. And then, as we begin to walk with him, we begin to know the peace of God. Where he cares for us. And it's, it's amazing. It's just an amazing truth. And it doesn't mean that bread doesn't matter. Still, you still need it. We're in this world, yes. But that's why in chapter 6, 11, he told you to pray to your father asking for daily bread. God knows that we need it. Cry out to him. But now we have a place to go. And we have a surety that he will, he will care for us. When we know that God will care for all that we need to live, we are free then to focus our attention on verse 33. Seek first his kingdom the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't be anxious, but instead set all of your energies and all of your efforts and all of your attention and all of your affections upon that which is greater than our lives, the kingdom of God. The word seek there, it's in the, the present imperative, which simply means that it's, it's something that we're continually doing. Continually seek His kingdom and His righteousness. It's to be our constant focus. So don't be consumed with with anxiety about stuff, but rather about His kingdom, which speaks about the fact that Jesus is Lord over all, and that everything is His, and that really all of life should be about telling others to know Him and follow after Him. Realizing that everything is His. He says, set, your, set everything that you do to be about knowing this Jesus and telling others how to know this Jesus. That's what life's about. That's more important, He says, even than food and clothing and everything else. is Him and joining Him in what He is doing in history. So the primary pursuit of our lives must be God's kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel and calling people to turn from their sin. And as we do, we do it all in the context of a world where we are constantly reminded that we need God to provide for us. So from the umbilical cord to where you are right now, breathing in air, you were born with the awareness that you need help. 
So bread is a good thing because it reminds us we need God. That's why, we, that's why Christians pray before they eat. Not because of some kind of ritual. They think we're going like, to choke if we don't. But we, we do it because we're thankful that God has given to us once again. That's why, we, that's why we do that. And all of this is intended to make us love God more. Romans 8.32 says that He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He also with Him not graciously give us all things? God gave us everything when He gave us Christ. And when we begin to grasp that, we are freed to say, Lord, I'm going to trust You to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of, and I'm following You no matter where You say to go. And no matter what You say to do, I am I'm Yours. Because You will care for me. When my wife Carrie was in college, she went through a a season of, of really being anxious about the fact that she might lose her life if she followed Jesus. So she had been reading through the Bible and seeing that, that it, it's, it's true that there's persecution that comes for those who follow after Christ. And she began to really wrestle with, what if I have to, what if I have to, to, to die for my faith? And this was about the time the Columbine had happened, so all of that kind of just set her into a, a, a tailspin of just anxiety and worry. And she said that one day she was, she was at home in North Carolina, and she, uh, she was watching the news, and breaking news came in, and there had been a shooting at a, um, at a church in a, in a big city in, in Texas, and there was, uh, it was at a See with a Pole prayer rally, and a number of students had been, had been killed at that. And Carrie said that, Whenever she was watching uh, the news that day, she, she, she stopped and she, she thanked the Lord that God didn't make her live in a city like that where she had to be fearful of those kinds of things because it, she, just, she just couldn't do that. She just couldn't handle that. So fast forward three years. God calls Carrie to go to seminary at Southwestern in, in Fort Worth, Texas. When she moved there, she joins a church. And she began working as a, uh, as a leader in, in the youth group. And uh, she'd been there for a number of months. And one day, she walks out the back door, and there's this big monument there. And uh, she asks somebody who's, who's with her, what's, what's that? And they, they said to her, do you remember three years ago when there was a shooting at a Sea at the Pole rally? He said, well, this is right here where it happened. And that's a monument to seven of the students who lost their lives that day. And Carrie says that if the Lord had told her on the day when she was watching TV that not only would she live in that city in three years, but she would go to that church in three years, and she would be a leader of some of the the kids who were at that shooting that day, she said she would have put her Bible on the shelf and she would have never opened it again because she would have terrified her. She goes on to say that that God is greater than our fears and that He is greater than our anxieties and that He is a, a good and patient God who uses every step in our life of seeking His kingdom to prepare us for the things that He has for us to do. And that he wastes no thing. 
And that even our anxieties and fears can be used by Him to point us to Him, to make us marvel at His abundant mercy. Which is why Jesus tells us for the third time in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Life's hard. It just is. We live in a world that's tough. And some of us in here this morning literally don't know where we're going to live in the next week. And don't know where we're going to get food and don't know really how we're going to clothe our kids or what we're going to do and how we're going to pay bills. And, and I, I can't give you those answers. But the answer is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And that He promises that each day He gives us mercy to trust Him. Listen to this from Lamentation chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it is this mercy that is our great hope. That each day He gives us what we need to do what He has called us to do as long as He calls us to do it. So the good news is that in this life, if you are God's children, you, He will keep you alive as long as you need to be alive. And He will supply everything that you need as long as you need it until your time on this earth is done. And then we will go to that land that we sang about a moment ago where we will see His provisions continue on for all of eternity. And that is the great hope that Christians have. So let us be a people who fight against the idol of anxiousness who have faith in God's faithfulness, all the while as we place our focus on God's kingdom purposes. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a faithful God. God, we pray that you would make us a people who trust you. That's all we're asking this morning. Is that you would stir in us faith. We know that it's a gift from the beginning to the end, and we pray that you might give it in abundance to us. Help us to trust you. And Father, wherever we are in this journey, whether we know you or we don't know you, make us keenly aware that all of life is about you and work that into our lives. God, we pray for those who don't know you this morning, that you would stir in them faith, that they might trust in this one, this one who sent his son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he took our wrath and that he rose from the dead and that there's forgiveness in him. And Father, for those of us who who do know you, we pray that you would help us to be a people who trust you. God, remind us of your mercies and help us to look to them. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. To conclude our, our time,